you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Romans 12. Uh, don't worry if not, it'll come up on the screen. But we're continuing a series that I'm calling A Love Without Limits. A Love Without Limits. And, and this really comes from a series that I started a little while ago. Uh, well, actually, it stemmed from another series we started a little bit further along ago. It's all kind of flowing in as we're exploring what God's saying. And it comes out of a series called Naturally Supernatural, where we're exploring all the gifts that God's got for us, these amazing gifts that he wants to give to his children. And uh, I noticed it was actually Wendy who shared one week. We were looking at these gifts of the Spirit and uh, she got up and read 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter after Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about all these gifts. And it struck me and I just thought, isn't that interesting that Paul's inspired to go on after talking about all these gifts to then go on and talk about love. And I noticed that actually in Romans, when he talks also here about these gifts, Excuse me. He's inspired then to go on and talk about the topic of love. And so I just felt that this message is central to the message of Jesus. And if it's central to the message of Jesus, it's got to be central to the message of those of us that follow him here in Stratford-upon-Avon in the 21st century. Would we agree? I'll drink to that. So let me just read Romans 12. Uh, verse 9, going to the end of the chapter, it says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I keep, when I was, I was running, reading through this, my brain kept saying, show hostility. But sh- don't, don't show hostility, show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Lo- live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thanks, but give thought, sorry, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Sounds a bit cruel, doesn't it? We'll come to that later on. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, we thank you that you have overcome evil with good. We just thank you, Father, that your love is such that you've taken us out of that mess and you've put us on a solid foundation. That is you. And so, Lord, we just dedicate these next few moments to you as we gather around your word. Lord, Holy Spirit, will you just come and, Lord, you can soften the hardest of hearts. Where we're struggling with something, your spirit is there to come and guide and to teach and to lead us into all righteousness. So we just give these moments to you in Jesus' name. Everybody says. That's nearly everybody. I'll get you going, don't worry. Do you know I love kids? Just putting it out there. I love my kids most of the time. But they, they are great for so many different reasons. One being sermon fodder. It's just great that they do stuff and they just feed me with sermon material all the time. If you just stop and watch children, you see the human condition on display in kids. And we were um, having a day off this week as a family. On Tuesday, we were going to go to Thomasland. 
Now, Thomas Land is not what you, well, you may expect it to be. I, I, I was thinking, great, it's going to be all about, oh, I'm going to meet some famous Toms. I want to meet Tom Cruise, Tom Hardy, any other famous, Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors in all the world. But it's not, it's about the little tank engine called Thomas. And so that's fine. We'll go to see Thomas the Tank Engine and have a little ride around on him and all this stuff. And we're going to go online and book the tickets because it's cheaper. And we find that the park is closed every Tuesday for the whole of October. Uh, sorry, September. And so we're like, oh, well, we can't go there. Good job we checked and didn't just drive there. So we're, we're thinking, what can we do? And we end up at this farm park. Anyone ever been to a farm park? Yeah, with the animals and petting and all that kind of stuff. And this one had a little electric train. You can drive around a, a dinosaur thing. It was, it was underwhelming. And, um, and we're going back to the main building. And um, Bella sees this, our daughter Bella, she's about four. She sees this play area and she just bolts for it and runs for this play area. Now, I've got Reuben. Cara's gone to the toilet. You didn't need to know that, but you do need to know that. Because she's off. Um, and leave that there, John. And, and Ruben's in his pushchair, and Bella is playing on the play area. And suddenly I hear this, Daddy, help! I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. My kids, a rock and a hard place. Um, a blessing and a bigger blessing. And I've got Ruben here in a pushchair who's needing me, and Bella over there on a play area. So I'm like, Ruben, just stay there as if he can move because he's strapped in, so we can't. And, and I run over to Bella, and she's stuck up on this play area. And so I help her down. I say, Bella, don't, don't do that, which you're going to struggle with. Just stay on the low bit and you'll be okay. And then I walk back to Ruben. 30 seconds later, Daddy, help! So I'm stuck again. So I run to Bella. Um, and, and she's now kind of almost virtually upside down on this rope system thing that's in the play area. And so then I sort her out and I go back to Ruben. No word of a lie, 30 seconds later, Daddy, help! And I run back to help her. See, Bella was totally happy when everything was going well. But as soon as there was trouble, Daddy, help! I want to talk to you this morning around the title of We Are Family. We were praying out the back and some people started. I hadn't told people what we were praying about, uh, what we were preaching about this morning. And people are praying about us being family. And then people start breaking out into, I got all my sisters with me. You know, so if you want to remember the title, then We Are Family. And there's a really, if you listen to that song. I'm just going to go off my notes for it. Listen to that song properly, because there was a line in there that sounds like, just let me staple the vicar. <laughs> Honestly, it does sound like that, doesn't it? Please don't get the staplers out when I preach for too long. So Paul has started this letter to the people in Rome, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to start talking about love. Let me just explain that concept of inspiration. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we say that other, other literature around the world, oh, I'm reading that, it's just inspired just great writing. But this is inspired by the Spirit of God. This is God's breath upon what is being written. It's like a boat on a, on a, sh on a, a sea, and, and it's stationary, but then the wind comes, and the wind hits the sails, and it starts to gain movement and start moving. See, it's like the Spirit of God just breathes on these writers, and they're, they're, they're moved, and, and they're saying, yeah, that's what I need to write about. And the Spirit of God's just breathing out what he wants to communicate. And so Paul here is writing to this church in Rome and he's been writing about these gifts and the breath of God just breathes. And he's like, yeah, let's write about love. That's what we need to go into now. And last week we looked at let your love be genuine. That is to say, let your love be without masks. Start taking off the masks. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil and cling 
It's that picture of a marriage relationship, like a husband and wife cling to that which is good. Who knew that genuine love also has to hate something? And by doing so, we don't take to a blog, we don't take to Facebook and have a good rant. Oh, I'm going to tweet 140 characters, going to be as blatantly vicious as I can. No, no, no. We overcome evil with good. We don't complain about how dark the dark is. We start shining the light. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So if you missed last week, that's last week's sermon in 30 seconds. And then I think Paul goes on then to say, guys, let me be really practical for you. Let me give you 10 examples of how this love can be genuine. And we're going to look at two this morning, just the first two as we work our way through these verses. The first way we make this love genuine is to love one another with brotherly affection. Actually, the way it's written is, Brotherly affection, that's what we're trying to achieve. So in brotherly affection, love one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. But I'm reading that, and I'm like, hang on, Paul. You just said, let your love be genuine. Now, we looked last week. That's the word agape, love. That, if we, we like hierarchies, don't we? We like to put things in order. If we're looking at, it's like that selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love right at the top that kind of love. But now Paul, now you're saying, love one another with brotherly affection. Nice. Sounds like Paul's kind of downgraded it a little bit. Because I, I can cope with, because, bro- you know, sometimes brothers don't get on with each other, do they? Sometimes they're having a good scrap. So there's a little bit of wiggle room in this kind of love. So suddenly you're saying agape love, but now you're saying Philadelphia love. It's a cheesy kind of love. See, I thought of that and I thought you're all going to groan because it's a cheese joke. But it is. It's the word he uses is Philadelphia with a city in America, Philadelphia. It's, it's brotherly, the city of brotherly love. And it's like last week we were looking at that, that lawyer in Luke 10. And he comes to Jesus and he says, and it says in the message version, it says, looking for a loophole in love. It's like he's saying, Jesus, can you just help me here? Like, how, how do I do this thing? How do I end up in eternity? And Jesus said, well, you, you're the lawyer. Come on, you tell me. And he says, well, the law is that we love God and we love others. Well done, you got it. Go away and do that. And he's looking for a loophole in love. He's kind of saying, well, yeah, but that's all well and good, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell this radical and socially explicit story of a Jewish man who's walking down a dangerous road and gets beaten up and then a pastor walks past and then another religious man walks past and they ignore him but then the very person that is meant to hate him stops. The very what? I mean that is agape in action there isn't it? Selfless sacrificial puts him on his horse they go off to an inn and he cares for him he even goes back to make sure he's all right. And the lawyer's saying well that's great yeah but who, who is my neighbor? He's looking for a loophole. He's like Jesus. He's wanting Jesus to say, just everybody within a 10-mile radius. And then you got it sorted. Then you're in. Oh, great. So I'm going to go to 10 and a half miles just to make sure. And I'm going to love everybody in that. And then I get in. Then I'll get in. Looking for a loophole. And if we're the kind of people that want to look for a loophole in this thing called love, we're looking to see where the limits are. See, love without limits. We're looking to say, well, I'll go that far. Love genuinely. Oh, but now he says brotherly affection. Fantastic. So I'm going to just downgrade it a little bit. I, I'm, I'm going to be devoted like brothers that sometimes have a little bit of a clash. But actually, what is being written here is Paul is saying, in brotherly love, how be devoted to one another. You know that word devoted? That word devoted is the picture of a mother with her newborn child. 
hearts of a parent loving their child unconditionally. This kind of devotion that will not get up and walk out when it gets tough, will not leave you when you don't do what is right, won't keep belittling you. What Paul is saying is, we are family. We are sisters and brothers from different mothers, but with one father. There's this beautiful verse in 1 John 5, and it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. You see, the minute you say yes to Jesus, guess what happens? You are welcomed into this massive family called the church. Massive family, which has different expressions around the fact we are one expression of that massive church that has gone on for generations, will go on for generations, and spreads the whole way around the world in some of the most surprising places you could possibly imagine. It's like Coca-Cola. You walk around and suddenly there's Coca-Cola there. It's like you walk around the world and suddenly there's just like there's a church here. What's that about? All people from different walks of life, different stages of life, but joining together because we have two things in common. A love for Jesus and a commitment to be devoted to each other. And that's what Paul is writing into in Rome. He is writing to a church that are, are from completely separate parts of life. You see, it was predominantly a Gentile church, but then the Jews had been coming back into Rome. They'd been let back in because they'd been kicked out by, by, the, uh, by Claudius, I think it was. And uh, I said that last week and I logged myself to say, I must check that. And I didn't, but I think it's Claudius who expels the, the Jews because they're infighting. But now they're let back in and they're coming back into this church that's predominantly Gentile. And so you have two groups of people that culture and society says, you should not get on. You should hate each other. Yet they have two things in common. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is to say, he is the Messiah. He is the savior of my soul. And because of that, because of that, they are a new creation. Because of that, they become children of God. See, the minute we say yes to Jesus, we are born again. It means we become a new creation. His spirit comes and lives within us. And you know what that spirit is told to us? I think it's in John 14. It says the spirit is the helper. He's the teacher. So do you know what he's going to do? He's going to start teaching us what it means to love Jesus. What it means to be devoted to those that are sat, sat next to you right now that you look at and think, there's no way I'm going to get on with that person. They're just way too different to me. Or everyone else has moved away because you're way too difficult to get on with. <laughs> I can see those of you that had no one sat next to you going, oh, that's the reason why. <laughs> A whole row. <laughs> see, the Spirit of God comes. Don't underestimate the power of the Spirit of God within you to start drawing you towards God and towards each other. Just close your eyes for a minute. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything scary. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine the whole church, our church, stood in one large circle, shoulder to shoulder, just stood in a big circle in a room. And in the center of that circle, however you picture him, is Jesus. And as a church, we all together start pressing towards Jesus. With every bit that we've got, we are pressing towards Jesus. You see what's naturally happening? We're stood in one big circle. We're all pressing towards Jesus. What is inherently naturally happening is we're also drawing closer to each other. 
And I see a circle where some feel like they're being squeezed out and it's getting a little bit tight, but the person put their arm around them and says, no, come on, keep pressing towards Jesus. Keep pressing towards Jesus. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ become the children of God. We are all his children. Come on, keep pressing. And we're naturally drawing closer to each other. Church, this seems completely countercultural. You can, you can open your eyes. Completely countercultural because culture keeps God at arm's length. Culture keeps others at arm's length because they may hurt me. What happens if they hurt me? It's easier to keep everybody over there where it's really comfortable because if I let them in too close, I'm going to get hurt. But the church, the church says we're going to let God into every area of our life and we're going to let others into every area of our life our life and be devoted to each other's growth, each other's love and each other's service. Do you know what? Following Jesus means our ways are going to be different. So expect to start loving those that you in no other part of society or culture would you ever be connected with. You're not part of church because you attend on a Sunday. You attend on a Sunday in other spaces and places during the week because we are the church. Our Christianity is not defined by going to church, but by being the church. And being the church is about modeling to humanity just what family is. Can I tell you, I think the the whole concept of family is something that's really under attack, not just in our nation, but in the nations. And we can allow the fear. And we're like, John, you're using this term family, but that's, that's really difficult for me. I struggle with that. The concept of family is, is not something that makes me comfortable. It, it actually it, it causes hurt and pain and tears. And we can cause that to impact how we do family. Rather than saying, church, we are meant to model to this world what it means to do family. So let's not let the attack on the concept of family in the world impact how we do family. Let's start to reflect something of God into the world about how to do family. That means that we don't simply call on each other when we're in a mess. Help, daddy, I'm stuck up a playing for a playground. Means that we don't just call on people when everything's going hunky-dory rosy. Oh, I'm good now, I'm all together. Now you can, you can, we can meet up. Means we're devoted to each other. We are as close as a brother in brotherly affection and we are as faithful as a mother devoted to one another. It's the first practical step that Paul unpacks this genuine love. And the second one is this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Well, actually what he's saying is honor. That's what we want to do. Honor. And how are we going to do it? We're going to outdo one another. Now, I love this verse because I'm competitive. And I like a little bit of competition. And to me, this says competition. This is outdo one another. Outdo one another. This is the language that doesn't say let passivity just sit back and do nothing. This is we've got to try and outdo one another. This is anything you can do, I can do better. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Excuse me. Outdo one another. But hang on, there's a part two, isn't it? It says outdo one another in showing honor. This isn't leaving every other Christian in your dust because you are the best Christian in the room. I know all the words to all the songs. I don't need the screen. Yeah, but I know more Bible verses than you. Yeah, but have you seen my Bible? It's leather and everything. It's like this, we we create this really strange Christian competitiveness about who's more full on for God than everybody else. That's not what this is about. 
outdo one another in showing honor. This isn't even the kind of competitiveness that says, I see your honor and I raise your honor. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours just a little bit longer. Because the world can cope with that. Because you see, we see honor as something bestowed upon somebody who is worthy of receiving that honor. So we have like the Queen's New Year's honors list, don't we? And those that do something heroic or those that do something for the community or whatever it is, they get honoured with a, an MBE or a knighthood or become dame this or dame that because they have done something that is worthy of honour. Because honour is something that is earned and deserved. But here Paul says, outdo one another in showing honour. That word outdo, it actually means go before. Go before Lead the way. Be the example in showing honor. Wow, now that's a challenge, isn't it? What, you mean that person that shows me nothing but a lack of respect? I have to go before them and lead the way in showing honor. See, outdo means giving to those who don't deserve and haven't earned it. Now, we perceive that kind of honor as weak, don't we? We perceive that kind of honor as something that's undeserved. But hello, you still awake? What's the kind of honor that God has given us? The kind of honor that God has given us? See, appearing on the Queen's New Year's honors list, somebody becomes a knight of the realm, they become sir this or lady that. In today's world, that doesn't really mean much, does it? It probably means you can get a table in a restaurant that's really busy and no one else could get a table, but you're, yeah, I'm sir this. and Oh, okay, sir, we'll let you in. But in history, to be a knight meant you were raised to a real place of honor. You were essentially seen as royalty. You were blue-blooded. You were given that position of honor, which was a transfer of power. And this power essentially gives you status. It's a position of honor. Church, can I tell you, we're on more than the Queen's New Year's honors list. We are on more than something or anything this world could honor. For those who have surrendered their soul and their life to Jesus, Scripture says in Ephesians that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He has been glorified to the highest place. We are united with Christ. It's quite a position, isn't it? Quite a position. With position comes responsibility. Have you earned it? Do you deserve it? In case you're sat there thinking, I've done quite well actually. Let me just say, no, you don't. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. There is nothing you did that got you saved. It's everything that he did in going to the cross and making a way for you to even contemplate coming before God. He that knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. And we have been placed in a place of honor. So why do I struggle when others don't give me honor? Why do I struggle when people don't respect me? And, and I say, I'm not, I'm not going to honor you. Look at how you treat me. We've already been given that place of honor. So it doesn't matter if the rest of my days go unhonored, unnoticed, unrecognized. All that's doing is denting my pride. And let me tell you, my pride could do with a dent or two. Because I have eternally been given a place of honor. So it doesn't matter what this world says.
doesn't matter how I am treated or if I never get acknowledged by anyone. You see, the real challenge is actually not allowing our limits to be limited by the limitations of others. When somebody else is limited in being able to give honor and give love, we don't limit ourselves in that. Instead, what we say is, let me outdo it. Let me lead the way. Let me start showering you with honor. Because we are children of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why do we constantly want to go back to that place of darkness? We are united with Christ. Romans 8 says, therefore we are justified and sanctified and glorified. You know, it also means to serve and not be served. Ouch. It means to honor those who betray you and mock you and are out to kill you. Ouch. It means looking around this room, instead of assuming the worst, we seek to look out the best. We seek to look out the best. And what we start to do is mine for gold. Start mining for a bit of gold. It's hard. It's sweaty work. But we're going to start mining for the gold. We know it's in there. So we're going to start mining for it so we can try and raise it to the surface. You know, Cara and I, um, we decided that we were going to start treating Bella a little bit differently. We'd noticed that we were telling Bella off a lot. And it was all around the fact that she wanted more of our attention and her little brother was getting in the way, (laughs) like physically getting in the way. So it was like, I want your attention. It's like, Bella, please don't stamp on your brother's head. He needs it. You know, that's the kind of, that's what was going on. And so we found that we were just telling Bella off all the time. And we we thought about it and and, and I say we thought about it, Cara thought about it really, because she's both the brains and the looks. And she said, how about we start drawing out the best rather than just complaining about the worst. I was like, sounds good. So we've now started to mine for gold in Bella and we've started to honor the fact that she is Reuben's big sister. And so we treat her like it. And we start to say, you know, we're not just going to point out when you're not a very good big sister. Of course, we're going to discipline and it's all that. But actually, we're going to start mining for gold and the fact that you are his big sister. So Bella, that was such a big sister thing to do that you, you took him by the hand and you led him from the front door to the, to the car. Wow. See what he's learning from you, Bella? He's learning how, how to care for people and how to love people. Because you're his big sister. Start to honor the position that she has. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't recognize it. But it doesn't mean it's not there. So we start to honor and we start to mine for that gold. Bella, you cannot pick Reuben up like that. But actually... When you do it with love and you care for him, you're teaching him something. Start to mine for the gold that's in other people. You might look at them and go, you do not act like a Christian. In fact, when you say you are, do you know it really affects other people and the way they look at Christians? Just really don't want to associate with you. I'd rather just go, let's stand right over here. Instead, we're going to mine for the gold. We're going to outdo them in honor. See, it doesn't work every time. I'm not trying to say that Bella is now perfect because we started honoring her as Reuben's big sister. No, no, sometimes we as parents monumentally muck up. Sometimes we get frustrated. But actually, do you know what it started to do as we try and honor her? It's done two things. It started to actually reveal the gold in our life. Because now 
what we start doing is loving with a, a love that is patient, with a love that is kind, with a love that looks for the best. And it does something in Bella. It honors her to actually, and gives her permission to make mistakes. Because we're now no longer trying to control her. Yeah, we're parenting her. But within that is the framework to make mistakes. And that's okay. Because we're all mining for gold in each other. And then also what it does is it protects her from herself. Do you know as you start honoring people in this church, you start protecting them from themselves. If all we'd have done was continue to scold Bella, to tell her off, to shout at her for how she was treating Reuben, what would that have resulted in? What would her opinion of us have been? Oh, they're the parents always tell me off. They, they love Reuben more than me because they never tell Reuben off. They're always telling me off. What does she then start thinking of Reuben? Well, you're clearly the favorite. And what does that make her think of herself? Who am I? Who am I? I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Ian, will you just come and start to tinkle the ivories for us? Some of you may feel that this kind of love that Paul writes about is like it's beyond me. I, I'm not sure I can do it. Genuine love. In brotherly affection, outdoing, uh, honoring one another and outdoing each other in honor. I'm not sure. Who am I? Just fail miserably all the time. As I was reading this, my mind kept going back to this beautiful story in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 4. It's an amazing story. It says in verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. News about Saul and Jonathan had spread that Saul had died and Jonathan had died in battle. So Mephibosheth's grandfather and his father, the king, had died in battle. Now tradition said that when the king dies, the whole family must die with him. And so Mephibosheth's nurse is picking him up at five years old and running to safety. And in doing so, something happens where he becomes crippled in both feet. Five years old, living in fear for his life and now not able to walk. If you fast forward to Samuel 9, a number of years later, King David is now ruling Israel. And he's doing pretty well. And he remembers a promise that he made to Jonathan, his best friend. And the promise was that we would always have a bond throughout all of the generations of our family. And he's reminded of that. And he says, is there anyone that I can honor because of that bond that I had with Jonathan? And somebody says, yeah, Jonathan's got a son. A son called Mephibosheth. Great. Call Mephibosheth to the palace. Let's call him in. I want to honor him. And it says in 2 Samuel 9, and Mephibosheth, try saying that a few times. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. I will show you respect. I will honor you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. Do you see that? 
A boy who should have been dead. A boy who would have been discarded by society, crippled in both feet. He is now given the place of highest honor to always eat at the king's table. Wow. He who wasn't deserving of it, he who should have been dead, is now taken and lifted to that place of honor to eat at the table of the king. Church, that's the position that we've been honored with. That's the position that we have received. To sit and eat at the table of the king. So the choice is this, church. Who's going to define your honor? Who's going to define your honor? What man sees and what man says on that which is temporary or on where God has seated you and what God says. You've been seated in that highest place of honor because you've surrendered your life to him. Come and eat always at the table of the king. There's a place for you. There is a place for you. We can allow circumstances to cripple us. We can allow what others have done to continue to cripple us. Or we can acknowledge just whose we are and that we get to eat at the table of the king no matter what we face we can also invite others into that place and there's a chair for them 